Well, I want to ask us, if we will, let's grab our Bibles, or if you have a device with a Bible app on it, grab it, turn your Bibles on, and let's go to Matthew chapter 5 together. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, just a quick word to all my Rush students. Uh, man, uh, heard amazing things about the week. I love seeing you guys, a lot of you sitting up here worshiping together. I love seeing that number, 262 students commit to reach their schools for Christ. Uh, I worked as a student pastor for over 11 years, and one of the things I loved about working with students so much is that you guys are actually crazy enough, um, in a good way, to believe that you can change the world and change your schools. And I just want you to hear from me, um, as your pastor, that you have what it takes. Um, Because Christ is with you, you have what it takes. I mean, I'm proud of you. I I think that... uh, If you trace history and look at revivals and look at movements in churches and in communities, a lot of them start with young people. And so uh, I'm just kind of calling you guys out. Devin's done a killer job with the student ministry here. And so students in the room, um, I'm just telling you, man, I think the more you step up and the more you engage this church and the more you step out and have bold faith, the more you challenge everybody else in here to do the same. So you guys keep it up, all right? Love you guys. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, today we kick off a brand new series called If Only, and all summer long we're going to be talking about the topic of happiness. Now, can we just go ahead and get this out of the way and all agree this morning that every one of us in the room wants to be happy? All of us. Like, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I hope today's terrible, right? Like, you don't crawl out of the bed and say, I really hope this is the most miserable day of my life. That would be awesome if that's today. No, instead, we all crawl out of the bed every morning, and in some shape, way, form, or fashion, we desire happiness, and we pursue things that we believe might bring it to us. Now, a couple of weeks ago, if you were here on the morning of the monsoon and power outages, We passed out some cards and we asked you if you'd take a moment and fill them out because we were curious to see and to hear from you as to what you believed might make you happy if you had it, if you could attain it, if you could get it. And so the cards, it simply said, I'd be happy if only. Then we let you fill in the blank. And if you participated, I just want to say thanks for participating and thanks so much for being honest. Uh, I just want to share this morning what many of you said about what would make you happy. And a lot of this stuff we wrote up here on these letters. And so if you have time in between services, you can come and and read some of those. But listen to some of these. There were several cards turned in that had to do with emotional issues. A lot of you guys said, I'd be happy if only I didn't stress and worry all the time. If I didn't care what other people thought about me. If I could let go of hate and resentment. If I didn't feel like a failure. If I could forget about my past and let go of past hurts, if my husband could find joy, if I could control my emotions better with dealing with family members. A lot of you guys had cards uh, that had to do with relationship issues. You said things like this, I'd be happy if only my dad would respect me, if my husband would put me first, if my marriage worked, if my wife was happy, if we had peace in our home, if we were on the same page in my marriage, if I would love my wife better, if my husband would show me more attention. Some of you, a lot of you said, I'd be happy if I were in a relationship or if I were married. And then we had several cards where people said, I'd be happy if only people would stop bullying me. Like, that's you, man. Come find me, and we'll get a couple guys, and we'll just go hunt down whoever it is that's bullying you, all right? 
It's crazy. Uh, we had a lot of cards turned in that had to do with physical issues. Uh, we had people say, I'd be happy if only I didn't drink or smoke. I'd be happy if I were skinnier, if people didn't die, if my family were free of addictions, if I hadn't gotten my DUI, if my sister would be healed of bone cancer. And then we had several cards turned in that said, I'd be happy if only I could just have a baby. A lot of spiritual issues on these cards. I'd be happy if only I could really believe that Jesus loves me. If my family were all in church, if my youngest daughter would come back to Jesus, if my son would find his way back to God, if I knew my whole family was saved, if I wouldn't be ashamed to raise my hands in worship. I just thought that was really honest, and I appreciate that. And you can feel free to come stand beside me any Sunday morning you'd like, and we'll raise our hands and worship together, and we won't worry about what anybody thinks, all right? Um, We had a lot of cards turned into, lastly, that had to do with work issues, money issues. Uh, A lot of you said things like this, I'd be happy if only I had enough money to provide for my family, if I could keep my home, if I had more money, if I were rich. We had several cards turned in that said, I'd be happy if only I won the Powerball lottery. (laughs) I think this was like the morning after the drawing and no one here won, so uh, oh well, right? Uh, I'd be happy if I had no debt, if I didn't have to work so much, and then someone said I'd be happy if I just had a place to live. be honest, when I read these cards, and I read every single one of them, I sat in my office last Monday morning early, about 8.30 or last Tuesday morning, and uh, I read through these, and I just got to tell you, man, I sat in my office and I cried as I read some of them. Um, I prayed, and you guys have just been really heavy on my heart this week. I just thought when I read these, not about what teaching series can we do? I wasn't thinking about like, oh, people need to know this Bible verse. You know what I thought? I thought, man, we need each other. (laughs) That was my thought. My thought was, I bet people who wrote stuff on those cards don't even realize that there are other people in this church dealing with the same issues that they're dealing with. And man, if we only knew each other and loved each other deeply, a lot of us, for those of us that aren't involved and engaged in relationships with other believers in this church, man, if we could get engaged to just love each other well and carry each other through all that we're facing and pray and support and just be a, a rock for one another during these times, like that's my dream and my prayer for this church. That when people walk into this place, they just see a bunch of people who love Jesus and love each other more than, uh, than, than makes sense to them. So, man, I just sat back and thought, man, people that aren't involved in groups here at Westridge, we've got to figure out a way to get them involved in groups so that they're not walking through this stuff alone. Church, listen to me, we need each other desperately. And if we can't walk into church and be honest about this and say, I need help, I need people. Where in the world can we go? Church, this is why we're here. And we gotta be in each other's lives. Now, here's the question I wanna ask out of all this, okay? Um, In light of what many of you wrote on your cards, in light of what's up on these letters, here's what I wanna ask you. Do you think Jesus cares about any of that? Like, do you think this morning that Jesus is concerned with your happiness? Like, do you think if Jesus was sitting here on the front row and he was looking at all this, if he'd be crying, he'd be going, man, I hate that people are suffering like this, man. We gotta be here. We gotta love each other. I wanna carry people through. Or do you think he'd just be sitting there looking at all that's on those letters going, ah, let them figure it out. Right, they're on their own. 
I can't really help, and I'm not really too concerned. The reason I ask that question, it's for an important reason. Here's the reason. Because how you answer that question will ultimately determine how you go about finding and pursuing true joy, true happiness in life. As I see it, you have one of two options, right? Um, You can choose the path of Jesus, which he promises will lead to happiness, and we're going to talk about that path over the next eight weeks in this series, or... You can be that person that believes Jesus doesn't really care that I'm happy. God isn't really concerned. Like some of us in the room, maybe we're here this morning and we go, James, if God was really concerned with my happiness, he wouldn't be letting me go through this. He wouldn't be letting my marriage fall apart. He wouldn't be letting me struggle so much financially. If God cared about me so much, he wouldn't be letting my kids stray and wander away. Like, I can't believe it because, James, I haven't experienced it. You see, if you're sitting here and that's you, then what you're probably doing is you're buying into this path that the world sells us, right? We live in a world, and it's no secret, that tells us that the path that leads to happiness is marked by more. Like, we live in a world that says, if you want to be happy, here's what you need. You just need more money and you need more power over people, and you need more success, and you need more titles, um, you need more muscle definition, right? Like, you need more freedom from commitments, you need more control, and the world tells us if you'll just pursue more of those things and get more of those things, and at the end of the day, you'll know happiness. Now, I just want to give you a couple of issues when it comes to that pursuit and that message that our world sells us concerning happiness. First thing is this. Everything that the world tells you to trust in for happiness is temporary. And that means that everything the world tells you you need to be happy can and will eventually run out. Like, think about this with me. Money can run out, right? Some of us have experienced that. Relationships can end at any time. Popularity will fade. Beauty will fade. Like, don't we all know that somewhere down the road what waits on us is an age where you know, things used to be in one place, now they're in another place. And it doesn't matter how much time you spent in the gym or how well you ate, that's coming for you, for all of us. It's going to fade. And listen to me, if you are putting all of your hope in those things to provide you happiness, then what will eventually happen is your happiness will fade and decline and run out as those things fade, decline, and run out. And I'm not saying, like, don't go make money. I'm not saying don't be successful. I'm not saying don't go to the gym, right? What I'm saying is if you make all those external temporary things the bottom of your joy, you are setting yourself up for failure, right? Write this down if you're taking notes. Temporary things only produce temporary happiness. Temporary things only produce temporary happiness. And if you ever forget that, just go turn on like TMZ, uh, go buy like some celebrity gossip magazine, and just read and listen to whose life is falling apart even though they have everything the world has to offer them and says a person needs in order to be happy. Temporary things only produce temporary happiness. The second issue with this pursuit that the world wants us to buy into as it relates to happiness is this. Happiness, joy, contentment, those things are spiritual issues. 
Like, listen, just go home. Don't believe me on that one, okay? Go home, read your Bible. Go home, Google like Bible verses on happiness or joy and read it for yourself. I'm just telling you throughout the scriptures, we are told and it's revealed that happiness and true joy, it is a spiritual issue. And trying to meet a spiritual issue with external, temporary, physical stuff, it never works. I mean, it's like trying to shove a square peg in a round hole. You can try and do it any way you want, but at the end of the day, you've just wasted a lot of time and you're probably really frustrated. I mean, think about it the other way. Think about if you walked into this room and you were like starving to death. And you're going, James, I, I need food. I feel like I'm about to starve to death. And I go, you know what? Sit down right here in the front row. I've got a message I want to preach to you. <laughs> You'd be going, what? Have you lost? Dude, just give me some food. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just, I got some spiritual advice. Just be comfortable. It's going to take about 45 minutes. And you're thinking to yourself, is this dude crazy? Would he shut up? I want some chilies or some Chick-fil-A. I just need food. Right? When you need something physically, you don't want me throwing Bible verses at you. And it's the same the opposite way. When you need joy and happiness and contentment, trying to fill that stuff and, and meet those needs with physical, temporary, external things, like it's a waste of your time. It doesn't make those things bad. Again, it just means we can't ever make those things the bottom or the foundation of our joy. Now again, the other choice you have is to believe Jesus is very concerned with my happiness. You can choose this morning to believe that Jesus never wants you to feel like you're on your own when it comes to feeling satisfied and content and joyful in life. And again, if you're that person sitting here and you've walked in the door, maybe you're new to this church thing, you're skeptical and you're going, I just can't believe that right now. What proof exists to show me that Jesus actually cares whether or not I'm happy? Well, here's the cool thing. Matthew chapter 5, we find recorded the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached while he was here on the earth. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And guess what Jesus opened this famous sermon by talking about? Happiness. Happiness. In the opening of his message to multitudes of people, Jesus lays out a path for us that he says will lead to true and lasting happiness if we'll walk it. And I'm just going out on a limb and I'm going to assume this morning that Jesus is very concerned with our happiness if he starts off the greatest sermon he ever preached by talking about it, right? But again, here's what I need you to know about the path that Jesus provides. When Jesus talks about happiness, it has nothing to do with external things. It has nothing to do with circumstances. It has nothing to do with temporary stuff. Like, it's not dependent on how much money we make, how good our health is, how many people like us. Instead, the path that leads to happiness that Jesus provides for us, listen, it leads to a joy and a happiness that is internal that is eternal, meaning it lasts forever. And you know what it's dependent on? It's simply dependent on our pursuit of him over and above everything else the world has to offer us. That's what it's dependent on. And so my prayer over the next several weeks is this. I pray that as you come into this building and you hear these message on happiness, I just pray that you'll start to understand it a little differently. 
And I pray that many of us, the majority of us, all of us will leave this room week after week choosing to walk the path that Jesus provides so that we can experience the joy and happiness that we so all desperately want. So we're going to go to Matthew 5 and we're going to get to work this morning. All right, here's what's going on before we read these verses. Jesus, he's pretty popular by this time in his ministry. Um, He's been teaching a lot. He's been healing sick people. He's been casting out demons, and a lot of people know about him. So everywhere Jesus goes, huge crowds are following him. And we find him in Matthew 5 in a town called Capernaum. Big crowd shows up, and the Bible says that Jesus goes up onto this hillside, and he just starts teaching. And we're going to pick up in Matthew 5, verse 2, and we're going to read what Jesus has to say. The Bible says, he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now that word blessed that you just saw repeated nine times throughout that passage, it's the Greek word makarios, and it literally means happy, fortunate, and blissful. Um, Pastor John MacArthur describes makarios this way. He says, makarios is the idea of a kind of happiness and a kind of blissfulness and a kind of contentedness and a kind of blessedness that is unaffected by circumstance. It means an inner peace, an inner bliss, an inner happiness, an inward joy that is not produced by circumstance, nor is it affected by circumstance. It is a state of happiness, a state of well-being in which God desires his children to live. So going back to my question earlier, is Jesus concerned with our happiness? Absolutely yes. Does Jesus care whether we're joyful and satisfied and content as we walk through life each day? He's absolutely concerned with those things. He wants us to crawl out of bed each day as his followers, and he wants us to live knowing and experiencing deep, inward, and unshakable joy. But again, the important thing that we have to understand this morning is what that kind of happiness hangs on, what it's dependent on, and what it's a result of. This whole series is going to help us to understand those things. And each week, we're just going to focus on one blessed statement. Each week, and this morning, we're going to dive in, and we're going to focus on that very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us that if we want to know true joy, lasting happiness in life, that it begins with us becoming poor in spirit. That phrase, poor in spirit, has nothing to do with us being poor financially, has nothing to do with us being poor when it comes to material things. That phrase, poor in spirit, it literally just means the opposite of being rich in pride. Um, It doesn't refer to a person who's poor spirited. You ever been around that person who's just unenthusiastic for life? They're kind of like slug all the time. You know the type of person I'm talking about, right? 
if you're that person in the room, we love you. We'll pray for you later. But um, it's not referring to that person. Again, a person poor in spirit is a person who, when it comes to a relationship with God, they have emptied themselves of pride and they've come to an understanding that there is nothing that they need more in life than him. To be poor in spirit means that a person realizes that they're spiritually bankrupt, that they have a desperate need for the God who created them and that they need him to do something in their lives that they could never do on their own. Jesus says, you want to be happy? That's where you have to start. That's where you have to start. I want to give you a picture of this from the scriptures, an example. Um, We find it in Luke 18, so if you have your Bible still open, you can flip there. If not, you can follow along with me on the screens But uh, Jesus is teaching, and he's telling a story, a parable, the Bible says, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and so they're treating others with contempt. And here's the story Jesus shares. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you imagine that? Like he's in the temple, the church, and he's pointing across the room going, God, thanks I'm not like that guy. It's horrific, right? And he goes on, I fast twice a week. I give of all that I get. Listen, the attitude that this Pharisee reflects here, it's a huge problem. You want to know why? Because it's an attitude rooted in pride. I mean, this guy literally comes before God and he says to God, God, I'm a good person. I'm better than everyone else around me. I'm not like the guy on the other side of the room. I follow the rules. I give money. You know what he's saying to God? He's saying, God, I don't really need you much. God, I'm doing fine on my own. I mean, God, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at how amazing I am. Those other people around me, they need you. I don't really need you. God, I'm the type of guy that you should look at and just be impressed with. I'm I'm pretty impressive. This is pride at its finest. Listen to me, church. Look at me. You know that there is nothing more prideful that you and I can do as human beings than believe that we are so impressive and so self-sufficient that we have no need of God in our lives. There's nothing more prideful we can do than believe that we are not in need of him. You see, the actual truth is the exact opposite. There's nothing we need in life more than him. To assume that we can walk through life and not need him is equivalent to believing that we can walk through life and not need air to physically survive. There's nothing in life that you are more desperate for than relationship with the God who created you. Here's why. Because you and I, all of us in the room, have constantly fallen short of the people that God has created us to be as long as we've been alive on this earth. We've blown it time and time again. None of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes. God is perfect. And because he's perfect and we're not, there is this divide that exists between us. And the Bible tells us because we're imperfect and God is perfect, what we deserve from God is punishment, is judgment, is wrath, is hell separation for eternity. And the bad news is this, you and I, we can't work hard enough, we can't follow enough rules, we can't be good enough people to make up for that divide that exists between us and God. So listen to me, you know why you need God? Because if God doesn't reach out to you and show you grace and mercy, then you are in a lot of trouble. 
You need him. I need him. We all need him more than anything else we need in life. The second guy in this story from Luke 18, the tax collector, he realizes this. Read this verse with me. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off, he wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here's this tax collector. During the time of Jesus, these guys were hated. These were Jewish people who lived in Israel. They were hired by the Roman government who ruled over Israel. And their job was to go to their own people, their neighbors, their family members, and to collect, tax, to collect taxes to give back to the Roman government, the enemy, the oppressors. Now the Roman government told these tax collectors, when you collect, when you collect money, just take some extra for yourself and that'll be your income. Well, these tax collectors were known for literally robbing their own people. They lived lavish lifestyles. They were very comfortable sinners, if you will. So their own people hated their guts. I mean, they walked the path of more, pursued more, had more, bought more, believing that the more they had, the happier that they would be. And so you get this picture of this guy who's a thief. He's hated. He's pursuing a worldly lifestyle. And he comes into the temple and the Bible says, man, his face is to the ground. He won't look up. He's just beating on his chest, begging God to show him mercy. God, show me mercy. Reach out. God, I need you more than anything in life, God. And I realize that now, God, I need you to be gracious to me. God, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, 3, that if we'll become like that tax collector in Luke 18, if we'll be poor in spirit, guess what? We will be happy. We will know joy. We'll know contentment and satisfaction like we've never known in life. That word poor in Matthew 5, 3, it, it was a word used to describe a homeless person during the time of Jesus. A homeless person who if you walked by him on the streets of downtown Atlanta today, would be cowered in a corner, they wouldn't look at you, and they would literally just have their hand out of their cup out, knowing that unless you gave them a gift, they were not gonna physically survive. And Jesus tells us, if you'll be like the tax collector, if you'll be like the homeless person in a spiritual sense, and if you'll bow yourself before God and reach out and understand that your spiritual existence it is dependent on a gift that only he can give you and you'll beg him for mercy and beg him for grace. Jesus says, you'll be happy. That's where happiness starts. When you empty yourself and come to a place where you finally admit that you are dependent on God and you need him and him alone more than anything in life, then you'll be happy. Now, there's probably some of you in the room sitting here going, James, that doesn't sound very happy to me. Like you're telling me that I've got to be like a spiritual homeless guy in order to know happiness. Why should that make me happy? Well, I'm glad you asked and I'll tell you. It has everything to do with the promise that comes after you emptying yourself and becoming poor in spirit. Luke 18, Jesus tells us that the tax collector, when he became poor in spirit, when he emptied himself of pride and he reached out to God for grace and mercy, the Bible says that tax collector left the temple that day and he was justified or accepted and loved by God. And the rule following prideful Pharisee, he went away and he wasn't any more accepted or loved by God than when he walked in the door. 
And then Jesus goes on and he says this in Luke 18. He says, listen, anybody who humbles themselves before God, God will exalt that person. And he points to the same promise in the end of Matthew 5, 3 when he says this. If you will be poor in spirit, if only you'll be poor in spirit, God will give you his kingdom. Give you his kingdom. Church, how much more accepted, how much more exalted can a person be than when the God of the universe looks at that person and says, my kingdom is yours. Everything that I have, it's yours. Everything that's mine, it now belongs to you. Because you're dependent on me, I'm gonna bless you and everything that I have, I'm, I'm putting on you, it's yours. Listen, there's two parts to this promise that should leave us happy concerning the kingdom, okay? One is this, and it's a future promise. When Jesus says, if you'll be poor in spirit, that you'll get the kingdom of heaven, part of that promise is him referring to a future time when your life on this earth will be over and you'll go into eternity and you'll spend the rest of your existence in the very presence of God in this amazing place that Revelation 21 describes. The Bible says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Listen to me. I know that this world is full of trouble and it's full of hardship, and it's full of grief, and Jesus, while he was here, promised that it would be. We live in a very broken, sinful world. Because sin is with us, trouble is with us. But listen to me, if you know Jesus as your savior, if you're that person who's come to the end of yourself and said, God, I need you more than anything I need in life, God says, you know what, I've got something for you. I've got a kingdom waiting for you in which you're never gonna have to experience trouble again. I know life is hard here, but you know what? If you can hang on and make it to this place that God's prepared for you, there are no more marriages falling apart. You aren't having to put people you love in the ground anymore. There is nothing to be sad about there. All you'll know is joy and happiness and contentment for all of eternity. All of these issues you see on these letters behind us, there'll be no more. God wants to give you his kingdom. And that's reason, I think, to be happy. But listen, it's not just a future promise concerning the kingdom of God. It's also a present promise. You know, when you come to the end of yourself and you admit that you need God more than anything in life and you surrender your life to him, you admit that you need a savior and his name is Jesus, he gives you his kingdom right here, right now as well. I wanna explain that and we'll be done. John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur, he he says this about the kingdom. He says, do you know what it is people to possess the kingdom? That's what that word means, to possess. You possess the kingdom. It's yours, the rule of Christ, the reign of Christ. Do you know what that means? Listen to this. It means you're his subject. He takes care of you. He gives you what you need, and he fulfills every need of your heart. See, the kingdom of God is a simple reference to any place or any person that God is ruling and reigning over. And when you come before God and you admit that you need him more than anything in life and he reigns and rules over your life, here's what happens. He becomes a God that is everything you need him to be in life. 
He becomes a God that satisfies every desire of your heart. Listen to me, church. I'm not saying that if you come to the end of yourself this morning, that magically everything on these letters behind me is just gonna kind of go away. I'm not saying that, I'm not promising that. I I don't know if that's gonna be the case. All I know is this. If you come to the end of yourself today and admit you need God more than anything, even in hardship and even in trouble, somehow, some way, God will meet the desires of your heart and he will give you an inward joy that makes no sense in light of what you're experiencing. That's who God's promised to be for you. He cares about you. He loves you more than you'll ever comprehend. And whatever it is that you're facing right now, God wants to step in and he wants to be what you need. Listen, if you're here, husbands and wives, and you're struggling in your marriage, and you want it to work so you can be happy, the first step, husband and wife, is you emptying yourself of you, of your pride, and you individually coming to that place where you say, God, I need you more than anything. God, I need you to be the center of my life. I need you to be the center of my marriage. If this is gonna work, then God, it's gonna take you coming in and invading our space and our lives and doing something we can't do on our own. If your kid is wayward this morning and you want him to come back, don't give up on your kid. Just keep praying for him and keep begging God, God, do something. I'm dependent on you. God, I I can't do anything else. You gotta do something. And you trust in him to be what you need. If life has fallen apart in other areas, emotionally, physically, you can come before God and beg him to be what you need and he promises to be that for you. He wants to be a God who fulfills every need of your heart and he can do that for you this morning. I want us to just ask God to do that for us now. All across the room, I just wanna ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, pray with me. If you're here today and you've never made that decision to trust in Jesus as your savior for the first time. Like if you've never come to the place where you have come before God, like that tax collector, and just said, God, I've blown it, I've fallen short of being the person that you created me to be. God, I don't wanna be that person anymore. God, I need you, I'm desperate for you. God, I'm reaching out and I'm asking you to do something in my life. Right now, in your seat, just in the quietness of your heart, just say something like this to God. God, I need you to rescue me. God, I'm emptying myself. I am admitting I need you more than anything. God, I believe you sent your son Jesus because you love me. And I believe he died so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could know you. And I believe that, God, you raised him from the dead three days later so that you could make me into a new person. So God, I could live with you in eternity one day. And God, I'm just asking you that gift of salvation. God, just give it to me. I need your grace. I need your mercy. God, I'm dependent on you. Be everything I need in life. With heads bowed and eyes still closed, I just wanna ask our response team, wherever you are in the room, to come forward and to get in your place. Again, if you're here and you're struggling in some area, if your marriage is failing, if your sons and your daughters are running, 
Financially, you're up to your neck in bills. You don't know how to get free. Emotionally, you're suffering. If you need to be healed of something, if you're sick, I want to invite you in just a moment just to slip out of your seat. These people in the front of the room, our response team, they're here to pray for you. Again, we are the church. We've got to love each other and be here for each other in times of need. And so these people, they just want to pray for you. Maybe you need to come up here, husbands and wives or moms and dads, whoever you are, and just look at this person in the face, putting pride aside, not caring about what anybody in this room thinks about you. And you need to say, I'm desperate right now. I need God to do something in my life. And I just need you to pray for me. These people are available and they want to do that. Man, you can come bow in the front of this room if you need to. You can bow at your chair and beg God to be for you what you need him to be. And he promises that he will be. Father God, I'm begging you. God, move in this place in power right now. Soften hearts, tear down pride. God, just rip walls away. Help us. God, to be fully aware in this moment we need you, God, more than anything in life. God, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As we sing, you feel free to move as God leads you.